in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. That is our word for today, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast, where I talk with other women about the Bible, what we love about it, how we read and understand it, and the difference that it makes in our lives. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, General Editor of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible and author of the book Becoming Women of the Word. Today I'm talking with Shannon Wimp-Schmidt. Along with being a contributor to the Women's Bible, Shannon is an author, actually co-author, I guess, of the book Fat Luther Slim Pickens, a Black Catholic celebration of faith, tradition, and diversity. She is also co-host of a wonderful podcast called Plaid Skirts and Basic Black, and she's a founding member of Catholics United for Black Lives and a wife and mother of four, I think it is, four kids, (laughs) who also works full-time for the Archdiocese of Chicago. So Shannon, welcome to Living the Word. Thank you. It's so great to be here, Sarah. I appreciate you having me on. I'm so glad to have you on. And Shannon, just as I'm reading those things, you wear a lot of hats. (laughs) Yes. I wonder if there's just one thing you would most want people to know about you, what would it be? I think it's just that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, trying to figure out what it means to follow him in this world, and that I'm kind of a normal person who has found myself in a lot of different places that God has put me (laughs) just by saying yes to things. Uh, You know, I was reflecting not too long ago on my Instagram about my journey towards authorship, along with my co-host of the podcast, Marcia. And it was like, I just wrote, I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And we just did things. We started a podcast because we felt like we needed to, because we felt like we're called to it. And here we are. And, you know, that's, that's what I want people to know. It's like, I'm just like you figuring it all out. And (laughs) trying to say yes to Jesus along the way. <laughs> that is beautiful. And what yes. I, you just prompted a, a question in my mind. Um, what, what made you feel that you really needed to start this podcast? So one thing that we had noticed back in 2018, when we started the podcast was, while there was this wonderful kind of explosion of really great Catholic media and content coming uh, in the digital age, there really weren't a lot of Black Catholic voices. And Mm -hmm. so as a biracial woman myself and my CMI co-host is a Black woman, you know, we were kind of like, we feel like this is needed. So I guess we should do it. And um, (laughs) it didn't always go smoothly. You know, at first, as we say, we were kind of building the plane as we were flying it. Um, But Once we figured out our groove and figured out what that looked like, we've just seen the Lord really do amazing things through just, again, being willing to share our experience of living our lives as disciples who happen to be Black Catholics. That's beautiful. Thank you for for doing that. And you recently started a new job, I guess, at the Archdiocese of Chicago. Do you want to tell us about that? Absolutely. So I am a parish vitality coordinator. So I work in one of our our vicariates, which is basically for those who may not live in a giant metropolitan archdiocese like I do. It's a smaller subset of a diocese. We have over uh, 
200 something parishes. So it's really hard to, <laughs> to get to everybody in those areas. So I work in a specific vicariate and I work directly with pastors for parish renewals. So the idea is uh, the world has changed and the church is in need of a renewal, spiritual renewal in particular, that, you know, we've kind of gotten into this habit of assuming that people are going to come to church because they're Catholic, they're going to baptize their kids and those kids will raise their kids Catholic. And we haven't really focused on making disciples, on mm. inviting people into encounter with Christ. And so with the world and our culture changing, and also, you know, with the decline that we see in America in people who are actively practicing their faith in the Catholic church, the question is, what's at the heart of that and how can we get to it? And the answer is, at the heart of it is people aren't in relationship with Jesus Christ. So how can we as a church be more inviting, more welcoming to everyone at every stage and do that on a wide institutional scale, parish by parish, so that it's not just a great priest over here or really great staff over there, but that we're all doing something to practice radical hospitality, to evangelize, to walk with people on their journey of discipleship from the first time they encounter Christ until their very last breath, so that we can be, as Pope Francis says, you know, this field hospital for mercy, that that the church is there living and breathing alongside people um, in each parish to really walk with them on the journey of life and to lead them closer to relationship with Christ. So great. So <laughs> it's awesome. <hard. laughs> I love that it's parish vitality coordinator. Yeah. You know, it's not parish discipleship coordinator or mm -hmm. something, which can sound a little boring in comparison, maybe even though it's just as exciting, but parish vitality. Yes. And I wonder what, what role will scripture play in that, do you think? I think like everything, it, it's central. We have the sacraments, of course. We have the, the deposit of faith, but but scripture is where we encounter the word of God, Jesus Christ made flesh as a human being. And so one of the main things we do is really spend a lot of time, even just as a team in the word, praying with the word and making sure that everything we do is based in scripture. So when we go and we talk about what does evangelization look like for Catholics in this world, we start in scripture because that's where we learn, you know, that's where we hear first the word, right? The, the good news. But also Jesus gives us an example every day of what does it mean to be hospitable? What does it mean to evangelize? What does it mean to be merciful? What does it mean to walk people on the journey of discipleship? I mean, just look at the apostles and the way that he leads them <laughs> into relationship with him. So all of that is in scripture. And that's where we have to find our source in scripture, in the sacraments, and in the tradition of the church. And you have a clear love for scripture. I know your your big passion is for the liturgy, but I always hear you bringing scripture into it. And where did that come from? So I think that probably started with my journey in Catholic schools. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten until, uh, gosh, to my master's degree. So I have a master's degree in pastoral ministry. And I have literally never gone to a public school, um, which is a little <laughs> odd. But <laughs> Of course, we read scripture at school. We heard that. But I'd have to say when I was a teenager and I first really encountered Christ and started walking on that path of discipleship, that's when scripture really came alive to me. And I really started in Paul's letters, actually. I love St. Paul. 
He and I kind of have very similar temperaments, uh, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like hot and cold and all over the place. But you don't write Uh, like he does, I have to say that. No, I don't. I have the wisdom of 2,000 years of church experience to just (laughs) maybe say like, okay, let's take a step back. Uh, (laughs) But just really trying to figure out who Jesus was, was the impetus. And as I learned more about the historical, the cultural context, all of the different ways that we can examine and look at scripture, the different methods, it became more alive to me. Mm. And I started to really see that even though there were these stories of things that like I couldn't even comprehend because of the historical cultural context, they had relevance to my life. And that even in those like really hard passages of scripture, that there was spiritual truth that I could take. And even when I didn't necessarily agree with what was going on in scripture, that that was something that could prompt in me prayer and deeper relationship with the Lord. Can can you give an example of one of those, either something that was, you know, really hard to understand or that you didn't agree with or and and how that impacted you personally? So one I will talk specifically about because I wrote about it in the Bible, in the Living Word Bible, is Jephthah's daughter. Mm. That was a really hard one for me because I was like, why would God ask someone to sacrifice their daughter? Right. And it's like really clear in the Torah, right, in Genesis that God doesn't want human sacrifice with the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac. Yeah. Can you, I don't know that everybody knows who Jephthah's daughter is. She's kind of a minor character. Could you tell what that story is? So Jephthah was like one of the judges of Israel, one of the leaders of Israel. And he, it seemed based on what we know from the story, his mother was in some way, not from the Israelite people. So she was from one of the local tribes surrounding. And he kind of retained some of those, what we would call like pagan practices. I hate saying the word pagan, but like for lack of a better word, that's what I have. (laughs) Um, Or those those practices that were outside of the monotheistic faith of Israel. And so um, he's going into battle one day and he promises the Lord, if I win this battle, I will sacrifice to you the first thing I see upon returning. And when he returns home, his daughter runs out to meet him in sort of joyful celebration. And then, of course, this is the first thing he sees. So he sacrifices her to the Lord. Now, we don't really know if that meant that she went off and lived a celibate life and gave up her motherhood and her choice for family, or if that really quite literally means that she was sacrificed as a human sacrifice. Either way, it wasn't really in keeping with how the Israelite people understood vows to the Lord. Even if you look at scripture, if you look at Leviticus, things like that, you would see that like, oh, actually they would consider that a vow you could kind of back out of and the Lord would not see that as, you know, breaking your promise. But for whatever reason, Jephthah goes through with that, that sacrifice again, whichever way that might've looked. And again, right, like reading this as a 21st century person, as someone who's been formed by both the Jewish and Christian scriptures, that human sacrifice is bad. I was like, why is this in the Bible? What does this have to do with a loving, merciful God who wants what is good for us? And... Although it's her, it's her father who makes that vow. It's not God who asks her to do that. Absolutely. And so... 
you know, as I've reflected on that and grown older and, of course, learned more about scripture, spent more time in the word and spent more time reading some of those hard stories, I think what I've come to realize is that, you know, this is a document that was created over thousands of years by people who were just as human as we were. And it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is the word of God from which we can draw all of revelation along with the the tradition of the church. However, it doesn't mean, and as Catholics, we certainly believe that everything in it is literal or that we should take as the exact example or that we're not looking at something has everything in a row. You know, you think about something like the ban in which the Israelites were supposed to go and basically get rid of anyone in a town who was not of Israel. Is that how we understand the Lord now in the 21st century? No. But we can understand things about why that would happen. We can understand things about what it's trying to get at, the truth that it's trying to get at without approving of behaviors. I mean, if we think about someone like David, right? David is is the most celebrated king of Israel. He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. (laughs) Um, And yet it doesn't negate any of the very important spiritual truths that come from David's story, from his writings, and all of those other things that we believe about him. And I think one of the things I love about the book of Judges, even though I mean, that is not the hardest thing to read in the book of Judges, mm-hmm. as hard oh, as it absolutely. is, it gets, it gets worse. <laughs> but in the book of Judges, the people are being called to follow God and they are not following him. And mm-hmm. where they are taking on the practices of the people around them when God specifically told them not to. Well, he's not just like being a hard, mean dad saying, I don't want you to do this. There's good reason. Well, one of those things was child sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And we already know from Abraham's story that God was not going to actually require it, even though he wants that that full devotion. Mm -hmm. So perhaps it's example, not in the sense of here's what you should do, but here's what you shouldn't do. Here's a Mm -hmm. warning because Mm -hmm. you make these rash vows, you get yourself steeped in this other culture, and maybe you'll end up sacrificing something very dear to you against what God would want. Mm So I'm glad you brought up that story, though. And you, you actually wrote portraits of three women in mm-hmm. this in the women's Bible. And I'm fascinated by the the choices that you made because here you have Anna, who was a prophet, you know, the New Testament prophetess, Jephthah's daughter, and then the Syrophoenician woman, the, mm-hmm. the Canaanite woman who brought her daughter to Jesus for healing. And I wonder if there's, I mean, I know there were other women you would have written about also, but is there like a common thread here? Is there a reason that you're drawn to these particular women in, in scripture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I tend to be drawn to women who are on the outskirts and women who, for some reason, are never are not fully in control of their own destiny in scripture because they are women living in the society that they're in. They do the best with what they have and that they act in faith, trusting that God will be with them 
and then they do very important things, you know, our, our blessed mother being one of them. right? Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, and Anna, you know, I, I have to say I had never, ever looked at Anna the way that you did. Mm-hmm. And can you, can you share a little bit about Anna? I love your thoughts on her. Sure. So, you know, we get a fair amount of good detail about who Anna is in scripture. A lot of times we don't kind of get the same details that we get about Anna, right? That she was married for seven years and then widowed for many more, that she was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of, I believe it was Asher, but I might be wrong. (laughs) Um, This is Luke 2, by the way. Yes, Luke 2. And uh, that she goes and lives in the temple after she's widowed. And then she fasts and prays and and basically is waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And, you know, there's sort of these underlying hints at who she might be through what we learn about her. We know her father's name, which is odd. We know that she comes from one of what we call the lost tribes of Israel, right? So the the, the 10 northern tribes that made up the kingdom of Israel that was destroyed. Somehow her family has ended up in what was uh, the kingdom of Judah and eventually, you know, becomes sort of first century Palestine where Jesus is. And also we sort of know that like she didn't have anyone to take care of her because if you were a widow or an orphan, your closest male relative would take care of you. If you were widowed, they would take you in and provide for you. So normally that might be a son or a brother of your your husband, but she doesn't have that. She ends up in the temple and sort of from what we know of the historical cultural context, that means she would have been dependent on a lot of people. She she would have had to beg and maybe she would be helping in ways that women could help in the temple and earn some money or be given some food from the priests and the Levites who would have been offering sacrifices. But it's sort of this, in my opinion, radical choice to not seek out another husband and not go find sort of the next relative to take care of you. But out of her, you know, basically her her being completely alone, she chooses to put her faith in God and to go to God's house and to then wait in expectation of the salvation of the Lord that's coming and that takes a lot of faith. I don't have that kind of faith. I, like I don't, I'm not willing to be like, well, I'll just like not buy a house or not go to my social safety net, so to speak. And I will go and follow the Lord's call and do what I think he is asking me and to fully rely on him in that way. And I think that's a beautiful thing about Anna. And because of that, she is then not only able to be a prophetess to all of the people to be well known as a prophetess, but to actually see the Lord when he comes into the temple with his family and what a joy and what a fulfillment of her complete self gift to him mm-hmm. in her, in her life. you know, And everything she'd been looking for. Absolutely. So that whole sort of radical choice there mm-hmm. was kind of a theme in the Syrophoenician woman. Absolutely. <laughs> and also tell that story. It's in Matthew and Mark, I believe. Yes. Um, yeah. Maybe you could tell it quickly and, and what you love about Absolutely. that. So the Syrophoenician woman is in a crowd. Jesus is coming and she goes to Jesus in the middle of a crowd and she asks him to heal her daughter. And she's a Gentile. 
And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's focus specifically, his audience is like a Jewish audience. We can kind of tell from, from the way he writes. And so Jesus responds to her request by saying, why should I help you? Why should you're a Gentile? And he says this line, why should the dogs be given the food that the children, that's meant for the children? And she kind of responds very quickly in turn and says, yes, but even dogs can have scraps from the table. And I love that because it's, it's sort of audacious, right? Like um, <laughs> you, Jesus, the son of God, who she believes, right? She, she has faith in it. That's why she's asking him to heal her daughter. She asks him and he says, no. And how many of us, right, if the almighty God were standing in front of us and they said no, would then have the audacity to like, basically make a joke and and challenge Jesus <laughs> to give us what we wanted, you know? And I, I think I wrote this in, in my essay, you know, I can kind of just picture Jesus laughing in delight, right? <laughs> at, at this show of audacity, but also the faith behind that audacity mm-hmm. that she trusted so much in who he was that she was willing to challenge and say, and go even further and to push him and to say, I, I need this. And then of course her daughter is healed. And this is, I believe in Matthew's gospel, at least the first time that there's a healing of a Gentile in that gospel. So that's like a big step of signaling this ministry of Jesus goes beyond the children of Israel. Yeah. And go, I think it's in Mark's gospel. They're not, they're not outside in a crowd there. She actually goes into a house Mm. and I'm assuming that he's staying in a Jewish house where she's not allowed to go. Mm -hmm. And she just like barges in there. And I mean, talk about audacity. Yeah. Is it so uh, not to put you on the spot, but is is there some time when you've like been audacious and just asking God at something and persisting and <laughs> going where maybe, you know, angels would fear to tread? <laughs> to get an <laughs> I wish I could say absolutely. Yes. I think there have been times in my life where I've sort of asked for things beyond what I thought was reasonable. And God has sort of put that in my life. I think for me, I tend to be an impatient person. So God kind of brings me along in increments. <laughs> so if I'm like, <laughs> I want this, right? Um, you know, I remember as a kid, like thinking like, I want to be an author. I'm going to write novels, all this sort of stuff, right? Uh, as an adult, sort of being like, well, I love to write, but like, was that really going to happen? And of course I have published a book. So like God brings us along, but I think it's also that story is also inspiration to me to say like it's not enough for me to just sort of like say, okay, God, whatever you want, but to be really open and honest with asking God for what I want. Cause he already knows. <laughs> like so it's more about being open and honest with myself and learning. You must have loved her, her yeah. persistence and the way she just kept at it and wouldn't take no for an answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And like learning in ourselves that we can trust God that much to not hide behind a mask. Cause again, mm-hmm. he sees it already. He knows, but our relationship with him is supposed to be open, honest and messy and even showing our worst parts, right? Mm-hmm. That we hide from everybody else. 
and that it's okay to not be perfect and not fit into the mold of what we think we should be. And you you mentioned David earlier, and of mm-hmm. course, as wonderful and incredible as he was, you know, was not perfect. Mm-hmm. But I love bringing out these women and maybe, uh, you know, not some of the great heroines, but just mm-hmm. ordinary women who lived at the time of Christ or in the Old Testament who were seeking God and and wanting to find him. Mm-hmm. Is is there somebody that you wish you had written about or that who's maybe a model for you? Who Who would be your favorite? go-to woman in scripture. I love Mary Magdalene. Oh yeah. I feel like that's very popular, but I've always loved the story of her encountering Jesus after the resurrection in John Mm -hmm. chapter 20, 21. What do you love about that story? First and foremost, that like her relationship with him and her grief drives her there when no one else would go to the, Mm. to the garden. Also, you know, I think like as a woman who works for the church that like, she's the one entrusted with the proclamation of the resurrection, the first person Mm. entrusted with that. And, and oftentimes working in the church, you know, there's this frustration of sort of all the ways that I I feel denied by not being ordained. I don't want to be ordained, but I've seen that life and I don't want it, but <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and being a woman, but, but sort of being frustrated when things are said no, when maybe it's not something that's tied to ordination and feeling that desire and that pull of the Lord to preach and to teach and to share the good news. And so in Mary Magdalene, we see, you know, she's called the apostle to the apostles mm-hmm. that, that she's entrusted with that. Also that, her relationship with Jesus was so deep that her grief blinded her to his presence, but Mm. also that again, she was so intimately in friendship with the Lord that she recognizes him as soon as he says her name, right? That it is the voice of the Lord calling to her heart that she, she doesn't even have to hesitate in knowing mm. that the Lord is calling to her. So yeah, I love, I love Mary Magdalene. Uh, there's probably a couple others, but she's always the one that, that pops right up to mind. <laughs> and I love your emphasis on him calling to her mm-hmm. and, you know, somebody who had been freed from seven demons, yeah. you know, she was probably a bit of an outcast too, mm-hmm. you know, and women in general weren't necessarily lauded and held up as examples and so on in that society. And yet Jesus always included them Mm -hmm. and he includes all of us. And uh, that's why I wanted to open with that verse from Ephesians 2, which says that Christ is our peace, who has broken down the dividing walls of hostility between us. And today in our culture, there's so many walls of hostility. And it almost seems like people are building up the walls instead of tearing them down. And Christ wanted to break those down. And he did that in person on earth. But he also does that, you know, through his church, or that's Mm -hmm. the intention. (laughs) (laughs) And I've heard you talk a lot about how the liturgy, which is, you know, our official public worship, how that can actually wipe away boundaries for people. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd want to share about how, I mean, has that actually been your experience? Uh, yeah, I would say so in general. I mean, a lot of ritual in general can help us reorder our brain structure, our, our 
worldview, things like that. And you could get into neuroscience if you want to, but we won't because there's not enough time, right? But but liturgy in particular, because of the the way that it's structured with both the physical actions, the the verbal, the mental, sort of all of it, it can basically lead us to this point of what we call liminality, which is an experience that hopefully many of us have had where our brain become goes to a state where the boundaries between people, between our body and the natural world sort of feel like they melt away and that mm. we become more connected. So that experience that we often call communion, right? That's, the, that's mm-hmm. sort of the physical and mental experience that we have when communion is present. This idea of, of liminality, uh, liminal meaning like the, the edges. And so, um, I I have experienced that oftentimes uh, when I bring folks to, let's say, a liturgy outside of their culture, whether it's bringing them to an experience at a Black Catholic church, uh, maybe a mass in another language. We here in Chicago have a ton of like Polish, Lithuanian, Croatian folks, lots of lots of different ethnicities. And so people who may be used to one specific way of being to, to experience liturgy outside of that. And I also have seen that in my own life, that when I'm really fully, consciously, actively participating in the liturgy, even in those times where I might be frustrated or when I feel like, you know, in 21st century America, I'm just so done with other people, with the divisions we see in our lives, that hearing the word, praying with the community celebrating the sacraments, receiving the Eucharist, that draws me out of myself and it draws me into what I'd like to call the practice of communion with others. That in the liturgy, we, uh, this is, I'm stealing this from a theologian named Mark Searle. We rehearse right relationships with God and with others. So Mm. liturgy is our practice of what does it mean to be one body in Christ so that when we go out into the world, we can actually live that out, that we live out right relationships with others and with God because we came to the liturgy. I think that that for me is where I've really been pulled, that for me, as I've grown as I continue to participate in the sacraments, especially to attend the mass and participate in the mass, that even when I'm not feeling it, even when I don't want to be joyful and it's maybe like Easter Sunday or whatever, that it pulls me out of myself into a bigger understanding of who I am, my place in the world, of God's work in the world. And most importantly, what he asks me to do in relationship to others. Mm. And it's nice that it does that regardless of who we are, regardless Mm. of our color or, you know, background of any kind, you know, how much money you have, what your sex is, anything. Mm -hmm. Maybe because the focus gets put on God instead Mm -hmm. of on us and then Christ unites us. So some other time I would love to have you come and talk about liturgy and the role of scripture in it. And I'm sure we could have a, a great conversation yes. about that. <laughs> but getting getting back to scripture, since we are living the word here, do you have a favorite verse or passage that you'd want to share with us and just read it and, and tell us why it's so special to you? Absolutely. I have many, but in particular, I love the 
a prologue from the Gospel of John, which is John chapter one, verses one through 18, basically. So you probably remember it. We read it every Christmas during the day mass. It starts with, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And we go on to say, and this is my favorite part of the whole thing, this beautiful praise of who Christ is. And John in verse 14 says this beautiful description of the incarnation, right? That, that for us as Christians, the high point of human history, the most important moment in human history. And this is what he says. And I'm reading from the New American Bible Revised Edition, which is the one we read on Sunday at the liturgy. So this is what you'd hear. I'm going to make a comment, but this is what you'd hear. He says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as of the father's only son, full of grace and truth. And I love that because if you, if you look at that Greek where it says it made his dwelling among us, it actually, the direct like literal translation would be more along the lines of he pitched his tent among us. Right? And it harkens back to Israel's history that where did the presence of the Lord dwell among them? In a tent that was in their midst, in the middle, right? The presence of the Lord comes down to reside in the midst of his people. And that's what's happening in the incarnation. And that for me is really the heart of the gospel. Uh, it, it obviously, of course, that Jesus died and rose and saved us from sin and death, but it, it starts with the incarnation. Uh, I tend to be very Franciscan in that way. <laughs> if you know St. Francis, he's always talking about the incarnation, right? That, that the beauty and truth, especially as a woman living in the world today, that who we are as humans, the bodies we have as humans, the way that we live our lives, human life itself is so beautiful and so good and that we matter so much to the Lord that he would not only give us his law, give us his love and mercy, but become one of us, that he would take on our flesh. He would unite himself to humanity for all eternity. Right? If uh, We believe that Jesus is living in heaven with a body, right? Like he doesn't like let, get rid of the body when he goes up to heaven in the resurrection. He's still there in his body, living and acting in the world. And that is so beautiful because it means that we mean so much more and there's so much more to life than simply being here and living and trying to survive every day. But that the most precious thing in all of the universe, God's own life is united to ours because he became a human being. And that's pretty wonderful. <laughs> yes. And I love your emphasis on, you know, he built his tent among us. He pitched his tent. He didn't like build his castle among us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he can move, right? He can come that's along right, and right. do whatever he, he needs to. come along with us. Mm -hmm. So I would love to pray with that scripture with everybody who's listening and Often I interject comments, but I think I'm not going to do that. You have said a lot to give us thought and I just ask people to kind of carry that into this prayer. And as I read it, just close your eyes, listen, and al allow the Lord to speak it to your heart. And I'm going to read a part of that 
introduction because it's kind of long, but I'll read, I'll read the key parts. So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to receive your word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. We thank you, Father, that you have built your tent among us. And Lord, your own people rejected you when you came among them. But I pray that you'll help us to receive you and to believe and that we will behold your glory. Thank you for your word, for the life and strength it brings. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and ponder what you say to us in Scripture. Give us grace to love and live your word in our daily lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Word, pray, pray for us. us. Holy Women of the Word, pray for, pray for us. us. So thank you, Shannon, so much for sharing your heart with us today. And uh, just before I sign off, where can we reach you and find out more about your book and your ministries? So if you'd like to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you can follow me at Team Quarter Black. And you can find out more about that on my Instagram page. If you'd like to look for our book, you can find it at AveMariaPress.com. It's Fat Luther Slim Pickens. Or you can also follow our podcast, Plaid Skirts and Basic Black, on anywhere you get podcasts. Wonderful. Well, this has been Sarah Chris Meyer and the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Join me every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's Word. And you can also join our Instagram community at Living the Word Bible. And may God richly bless you. Thank you so much for listening. The Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible is available to you for the special price of $59.95 plus free shipping. Just go to AveMariaPress.com and use the promo code BiblePodcast, all one word. The offer expires at the end of 2023. God bless you as you read His Word. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.